RadioInfluence.com. What is up? We are back with another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Gavon. As always, we appreciate you taking time out of your day. Download, listen to this episode of the podcast, whether you listen to us on the podcasting platforms or if you're watching us over on YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms, if you leave a rating or review, that truly does help us out a ton. And of course, if you're watching us over on YouTube, be sure to smash that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. Uh, of course, as always, we appreciate you tuning in for this episode. Daniel, uh, happy Wednesday morning to you. you typically, we do these uh, podcasts later evening, but we're doing this here first thing in the morning so i had to make sure that alarm was set to make sure i got my ass out of the bed you know what it's great to be here talking mixed martial arts with you drinking some coffee my second favorite drink other than beer beer and coffee those are my top two and uh, it's it's a magical time in the morning man when you're just waking up and things are firing all cylinders and we got a lot to talk about my man you know, I'm over on social media over the past couple of days, and is someone impersonating you? I mean, I see this guy who looks a lot like you suited up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what happens when you're in a relationship. Um, you have to do things that aren't you. And uh, one of those things is going to a wedding this week, and I was all suited up, and, and you know, my beautiful girlfriend was great, and... Um, yeah, was I uncomfortable the whole time? Absolutely. I'm not a big dance guy at all. Like you know that dance that people do after they get married. I'm just like standing at the edge of the at the edge of the room. Like the most horrifying idea would be me dancing, and and everyone else gets into it, but I, I don't. Which is funny because like uh, I have no problems like going into a ring in underwear <laughs> and wrestling people, but dancing is is horrifying to me. But yeah, man, I, I did get suited up. Didn't really know anybody at the wedding, so I was just kind of refreshing my ESPN app to see the score of the Nuggets and, and Heat, and uh, that's how I spent my weekend. Yeah, man, it was a uh, it was good. it was overall a decent weekend for me. You know, speaking of social media, because I mean, look, I'm I'm involved in the social media world in terms of what I do in, in restaurant marketing, and you know, there, there's things you see on social media that that maybe you were not aware of, and one of the things, and, and this is I'm going to relate it to mixed martial arts, but it's not really related to, to MMA. Is I did not know till the other day that June is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, and the reason I became aware of this was TikTok. Talk. And, you know, I saw this clip that uh, the pivot had with Fred Taylor. I'll get to that in, in a moment, but kind of my relation to MMA because we know mixed martial arts is such a heavy male dominated viewer. It just made me think about with, you know, with this being, you know, Men's Mental Awareness Month of why doesn't the UFC do something in, in terms of, you know, kind of, you know, talking about this? Because, I mean, look, I've interviewed for fighters for over you know, 10 years. I can't tell you how many fires talk about the mental aspect of this game. And, and of course, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years where athletes are much more forward talking about the issues they have in mental health. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity for the UFC to be a leader in this front and, and do something really cool with uh, men's mental health awareness month, because they do speak to a unique audience than other entertainment companies or sports i mean even when you contrast the mma audience with the nba audience or the mma audience with uh, an audience for major league baseball i think you're going to get a lot of men 
who don't watch the other sports but do watch mixed martial arts. You know, a lot of dudes wearing affliction shirts that just watch UFC that maybe aren't really exposed to types of content that expose them to maybe some of the options they have to go to when they have a, a struggle or if they just have a, an issue in general. So I do agree. And, and it's really a good opportunity for the UFC to branch out and not do just some fights, right? As an organization, it's important to, to be worldly and, and do great things in addition to promoting and doing your product. So I totally agree with you. And it's not only just the audience, but just, letting the fighters know the options they have because that's a pretty big roster, you know, men and women, obviously. And I know they all have, I I know a lot of people on that roster have their own issues because a large portion of the population in the world has their own issues, whether it be something they were born with or something that, that they, they, they got from childhood or maybe something they got from their more recent life. I can only imagine the mental struggles that the dude who fought on the first episode of Tough, and we'll talk about Tough later, but on the first episode of Tough, this dude is like a prospect. He comes in, dude loses in like 13 seconds, gets knocked out. That's got to suck. That's got to be mentally hard. I mean, this guy was heartbroken. And uh, people on every fight card feel that defeat, you know, 10 people, every single fight card, 10 people. You know, this girl we just saw fought in UFC, um, this weekend, oh god, what was her name? Um, uh, uh, the one that fought, uh, Caitlin Souza. I'm pretty sure she like got a significant knee injury mm-hmm. <laughs> in that fight. Now she's got to go deal with that, and I know she don't have a lot of money in the bank account because the UFC don't pay well. So that was a long spiel, but I do think the UFC is a great organization to do some good work with men's mental health awareness month. And where I saw this, and and like I said, I was not aware that, you know, the month of June is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. It was just something I wasn't familiar with. And it was a clip that I saw on TikTok, and it was from the Pivot Podcast, which is a podcast that I would say I don't watch every episode but or listen to every episode, but I, I take in majority of the episodes. And it was a kind of a basically like a two-minute clip. I put it over my Facebook page, and... It was where Ryan Clark says to Fred Taylor, he goes, are you good? And, you know, Daniel, there's these clips that you see online that you just relate to. And Fred Taylor's first comment was, I'm good, but I have my moments. And it's just, it's something that clicked to me. And I was like, man, I, I, I know exactly what Fred Taylor's talking about. And, And I think it's, it's something as men that we just don't talk about, you know, overall. But it, it's it's just one of those clips you see on social media. You're like, man, I can relate to it. And, uh, you know, one of the podcasts I help produce is the DJ Eakin podcast. And, and we talk about this all the time. And, and it's like checking on your strong friends. And, you know what, maybe someone's watching this and maybe it's going to help you maybe reach out to someone that you think is one of your strong friends and just say, hey, man, you good? Yeah, yeah. Those You never know. I mean. Seriously, think of some of the horror stories you've heard in life of people who have taken their own lives. And some of them, you never would have thought. You never would have thought that they would. They're the happiest person in the room. Always, always a joy, always a pleasure. And now that they're no longer with us. I can think of people in my life who are no longer here that fit that description. So I think that's Mm -hmm. a that's a really strong point. 
and, and your strong friends, your weak friends, go that extra mile. And hopefully they can also return the favor to you because we all need it as well. That feeling of, I got your back and you're not alone. That feeling you're feeling, I probably feel it too. It, it's it's unspoken. It's hard to communicate. It doesn't really fit with the normal day-to-day life of how we do things, but it's still there and we're here for you. Yeah, yeah. It's just, and I've seen so many of these videos pop up on my social media, you know, timeline over the past couple of days. And, um, you know, and, and social media can be a great thing. And, you know, and I look at this as a great thing as, you know, give me kind of aware of, of what's going on in, in terms of that. But, you know, the only thing I wonder is, would the UFC not do it because of potential future litigation? Because they're maybe worried about, you know, you know, things we've seen, but it's just something that, that appeared on my social media timeline that just kind of stuck out to me. Uh, but you know, Daniel getting back to mixed martial arts, clearly the biggest news story over the past couple of days is last week's main event between Amir Albazi and Kai Carr of France and, uh, the scorecard. And first off, let's, let's start here, Daniel. That is not a robbery. That is not a robbery. That's a close fight. Even though I scored the fight for Kai Car France, I had it three rounds to two. Now, we look at Chris Lee's scorecard. And <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, look, round three to me is the clearest round. Clear round for Amir Arbasi. No one's going to deny that. To me, I thought round four, round five were clear Kai Car France rounds. Close rounds, but I thought he he got the you know the better when you look at the scoring criteria. Round one and round two are close fights. It's close rounds. You if you told me you scored round one for Kai Car France, I can go with you. If you tell you you scored for Albaz, I can go with you too. But like it's one of these things of in and I'm watching this fight live and you're seeing all this interaction after the fact. And of course, you know all the open scoring people. Oh, this is their ammo to come out of. We need open scoring in mixed martial arts. But I heard God, I forget who I was listening to. It might have been the co-main event podcast. And I want to say a listener brought up the thought of, should it be a majority on who wins the round? So in this instance, Chris Lee was only judged as core the fourth round for Amir Albazi. Should it be, if two or three judges scored the round for one fire, that fire truly gets the the round. So I I, I was thinking about this, and I'm going to say it doesn't matter. And this is what I'm going to tell you. Yes, in this fight, Kai Car France would have won the decision. And I think you outlined it perfectly, by the way. You really did. It wasn't a robbery in terms of who won this fight because you were totally right. One through three could have been Abazi rounds. Three for sure. One and two were super close. Round four was the robbery part. That was that was a stupid scorecard. Bro, just look at the stats. Abazi landed five strikes and Kai Car France landed 27. And guess what? Albazi didn't land a super strong, significant strike in those five. Um, let me go back to why I think that suggestion isn't great. I just wrote this down. This is what I was doing during the wedding. Um, as I was waiting. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that your mind is on mixed martial arts while you're at a wedding with your girl. Well, I, I, had that, a, that, that, I hope she doesn't see this because she might have a conversation with you. <laughs> Listen, man, the thing was in Spanish. I don't know Spanish, um, but it wasn't during the wedding. It was before. Like I was seated. I showed up 30 minutes before the ceremony. I have plenty of time on my hands. So 
I went to MA Decisions, and they have the top 10 most disputed decisions of 2022. So I looked at all 10 of the most disputed decisions. The only fight that would have changed is just one single fight of last year. Jacoby and Roundtree, Dustin Jacoby and Khalil Roundtree, that would have gave Jacoby rounds one and two, and he would have won that fight. So the nine other most disputed decisions last year would have stayed the same had they adopted this idea. So I just wanted to push back on that because I originally saw that. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a genius idea, but it really wouldn't change much. I, I want to go back on something you mentioned about the stats and uh, Michael Carroll, who's over there at uh, Fight Metrics, aka UFC stats. And look, MMA stats are something good to look at, but they also they also don't necessarily always tell us the story of a fight. And this is what Michael Twee said: Judge Chris Lee gave round four to Albizi despite significant strikes land in that frame, going to Car France by an advantage of twenty-seven to five. Plus, Car France landed a lone takedown in the round. Neither fight mounted more than twenty-three more than twenty-three seconds of control in the round. Which sometimes <laughs> ground control, like <laughs> I, I don't know why we came up with the stat. I really don't. But it's. Once again, it's a close fight. It's not a robbery. Here's here's my problem with Miral Bazi. Why are we have we gotten to this stage where the guy who wants to challenge for the title thinks he can dictate when it can happen? Is he is he doing that? Is he saying? Oh yeah, he, yeah. He's talking about how he wants it in Abu Dhabi in October. I'm like, hold on, hold on. So we saw Pantoja do this back after Moreno uh, after his last title defense. This is going to be in July. So hold on. You just think that since you just won a fight, that the winner of the July, what's that, July 7th or whatever, should then turn around and fight three months later. Also, I I, I saw someone bring up a very interesting point the other day. Why is it that Islam Mahachev can basically not be pushed to defend a title when UFC is basically forcing every other champion to fight every three months? I think the UFC has a pretty doesn't have the best relationship with them. That whole camp, um, in terms of like, not when I say that, in terms of like bending them to do things at their will, I really feel like that camp has some distance between them and the UFC, and they can't just get for, force themselves in there. If I have to guess, when you look at Islam and you look at some of the, the other fighters, the only thing that makes sense to me is it's about they know Islam has to be headlining that Abu Dhabi show. Yeah, that or Islam would just straight up retire. But yeah, I mean, it's probably that one. But yeah, whenever you have a, you know his former teammate just retire in the middle of his prime, it's like, I don't want to push him too hard. He's just going to retire. Shoot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess Amir will get that championship fight. There really isn't much else. Okay. Um, I don't think... No, here, think here's... He, Oh, we're go- I was going to bring this up in, 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 a, in a topic coming up next. I guess we can kind of switch over to that topic. And what the things that Dana White said after the post-fight press conference, uh, during the post-fight press conference. And one of them is, and I, I got to give some kudos to Ariel Hawani for calling Dana White on this. You remember a couple months ago when um, Colby Covington was a backup fighter? Yeah. And Dana's like, yep, he's getting next tile shot. You know who the backup fighter is for Pantoja and Moreno? Davidson Figueroa? No, it's Brandon Roy Val. So John Morgan oh. of the UG asked Dana White basically, well, is he the next guy? 
And then, of course, now Dana's like, well, we'll see what happens. There's no guarantees in the sport. Like, hold on. Two months ago, you're telling us Colby Covington's guaranteed to get a title shot because he came in and cut weight. How is it not Brandon Roy Val? Also, should Amir Albazi be ranked in front of Brandon Roy Val? Brandon Roy Val has a second-round submission against Kai Carr of France. His only losses are against the top two guys in this division. Yeah, it's... it's and, and he has more quality wins, right? Like Matt, the win over Matthias Nicolau, the win over Matt Schnell, those are pretty good. When you look at Albazi, outside of the win over Kai Carr of France, I don't know what the most impressive win is, right? He's beaten Alessandro Costa, Francisco Figueredo, Zalka, Zumagalov, Malcolm Gordon. Those are his UFC wins. And aside from the Kai Carr of France one, so it's not the most impressive resume. Inside the cage, I think Amir presents a lot of problems for Brandon Royval, but I think they both have pretty similar resumes. If they were matched up tomorrow and I had to pick who's going to win, I would probably pick Brandon Royval. And, and I, I do say, if I have to tell you which fight do I want to see happen, it's probably Royval against a champion. But the one downside for that is, as you mentioned, he's already lost to both fighters in the championship fight. Okay. But after what we just witnessed on Saturday night, as a fight fan, I would much rather see Roy Val get the winner of the upcoming title fight just because I know it's going to be a fun fight. It may not last 10 minutes, but it's going to be a fun fight because Brand Roy Val is a guy that he's going to take chances and, and he's going to make the fight exciting. I, I thought there were times where I just thought Amir was fighting safe in that matchup. Well, I think they both were. And I, I do think you're right. Roy Val is going to be a more entertaining matchup. And if they have similar resumes, no difference in name value, then I guess the next thing is who's the more entertaining fighter? And then it's like, well, that's Brandon. So, yeah, Brandon is the fight that gets me more excited. Amir won a fight that wasn't that exciting. And also he probably didn't deserve the decision. So I would say, yeah, Brandon Roy Val should get the fight. But, you know, you know, credit to Albazi. I mean, he spent a lot of time on the feet with Kai Carr of France. And he wasn't completely outclassed. There were moments where Kai was the better fighter. There was also that moment in round three where he nearly finished Kai Carr of France. I have no idea how Kai got out of that choke. But um, Amir impressed me. But if you're telling me who deserves the next championship opportunity – You've talked me into Roy Val over Albazi for sure. Yeah, it, it has to be Roy Val to me. You know that that's he, he especially if you're you're telling that you know he's going to have to cut weight and all that. If you're giving Colby Covington the shot, you know, look, you got to you got to give him the shot there. Um, you know, also um, Dana White talking about Jared Gordon, and I think we we briefly talked about this last week, but it's interesting the narrative Dana White wanted to create with this one. It's like, so we're just going and, and he's basically, and this was the, uh, the comic cause you know, he, Jared Gordon notes during his media day, how he had a concussion and uh, Dana Weiss quotas, you're not a effing doctor. <laughs> and he goes on and I'm like, hold on, Dana. Are we just not going to blame the UFC for, I don't know. You saw this guy get knocked out twice in a fight 45 days prior. And you thought it was okay to book him right back into another fight. Yeah, um, yeah, that's stupid from Dana. Uh, I mean, a concussion. 
a violent shock from a heavy blow, temporary unconsciousness, or confusion caused by blow on head. Temporary unconsciousness or confusion. So I'm not a doctor either, but I believe Jared Gordon experienced temporary consciousness or mm-hmm. confusion in a fight recently against old, uh, old Bobby Green. Um, this Danies are not say stupid stuff like that when it comes to fighter health and things that happen inside the cage because that was a really stupid comment. It was pointed out by everyone that this fight shouldn't have happened. Like, like that's insane. If a dude gets knocked out inside of a cage, um, you know, or, or finished by strikes in April, he shouldn't be fighting six weeks later. Pretty simple rule. And he wasn't. He didn't fight. He got pulled, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, then what happens after that? Well, crap. Uh, Jesse Butler gets fed to the wolves, and he just gets put on a Jim Miller highlight reel. <laughs> Now, let me I want to mention this tweet that I saw. And so uh, Mookie Alexander used to work for Bloody Elbow. He uh, quote tweeted this MMA junkie with uh, the Dana video. And he says, I'm not being a dick here. And this is a genuine question. Has Nevada stopped releasing medical suspensions? Because it seems like they actually have. I see nothing from any UFC Vegas shows, pay-per-view, or Apex this year. One of the people that responded was Nolan King of MMA Junkie. And he goes, yes. All we have access to now is to see the status of licenses, suspended or not suspended. We can't see durations or reasons for any suspensions. Now, there was another response to this that really stuck out to me, and it came from Danny Rubenstein, a noted MMA manager, and he responded to this, and I don't know if you saw this or not. He says, quote, fighters don't have access either. I believe just the promotion and athletic commission members have access to the detailed information was told there is a press login, but no, no, but that information is very limited goes on and say, he goes, uh, we were just told by a promoter what suspensions the fighters have and what is needed to be cleared. I've lobbied for a limited login to the ABC database to check my fire suspensions and licenses and was denied. Hold on here. You're representing a fighter. You can't have like access to this information. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this. I'm, I'm gonna call Mike Mazzulli today and go, "Come on, Mike. We we got there, there's got to be a better system here." Yeah, no, that's insane. It really is, and that should be public record. I think. I think it should be public information. Well, I mean, like, I mean, like, you can go. So, mixmarsource.com is the official registry for fighters. So you can go on there and you can see it'll it'll have like a barcode right at the top. It'll say, you know, this fire's under suspension by whoever. But you yeah, there is no definition up there. I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about potential opponents for Francis Ngano. If you look up Fabricio Verdum, um, he's under suspension in term in in uh, New Jersey. But it, you don't know what that suspension is related to. Yeah, the lack of public information is troubling, right? Like it's funny. Athletic commissions have restricted more public information as time has gone on, but they really haven't gotten that much better, straight up. I'm going to be honest with you. I really am not impressed with athletic commissions. Um, the, the evolution of athletic commissions from when I first started watching this sport to where we are today has not impressed me one single bit. The one thing they've done really good, though, is to take away um, um, uh, 
public information. And that really pisses me off when people take away public information because it doesn't allow you to get held in check by the public, right? I mean, Lord forbid we criticize a judge who takes money out of Kai Carr or France's pocket. Dude, you know what? I was I was thinking about that driving to the office this morning. And thinking about is the way fighter pay is you get one check for showing up and fighting, but if you win, you get a second check. And now Kai Car France doesn't get that second check because Chris Lee has a bad round four scorecard. There, there's no other way to, to decide it. And I was just thinking about that. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, man, I hope the UFC gave Kai Car France his win bonus. I doubt they did, but I hope they did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it sucks to think, but that's the case. And, We'll just move on with the circus that is the uh, MMA judge, but uh, I'm sure the athletic commissions are trying to figure out how to make it private which judges scored which rounds. Yeah. By the way, speaking also of Dana White, you, you remember a couple weeks ago when he mentions that we're going to find out the date of Michael Chandler or Conor McGregor during Tough? He seems to really be backtracking on that. Is he? Yeah, is now he he's like... If you listen to his comments from last Saturday night, it, it's almost it almost seems like they're still negotiating with Conor McGregor. Like Dean Thomas says Conor's back in USADA pool, but I haven't seen anything that Conor's been tested yet. Until Conor, we know officially Conor's re-entered the USADA drug testing pool. I'm just not convinced he's fighting again. Yeah, which is crazy because for Conor McGregor, this is the perfect matchup for him. I mean there isn't a better matchup for an elite fighter than Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler is an elite fighter, but Conor McGregor is a good matchup. Yeah. Because those two those two dudes are probably going to stand in trade, and Conor's got a pretty big frame compared to Michael's. Mm-hmm. I like Conor's stand-up versus Michael's for sure. I'm picking Michael in this hypothetical fight, but Conor shouldn't screw this up. If he wants to continue fighting, he should get his ass in the cage with Michael Chandler. Because Michael Chandler is not a young man. He's not going to wait around forever for red panty night. Because mm-hmm. the man still needs to buy some panties, even if they're not red. <laughs> and, and he's going to fight somebody because he's a top-tier fighter and he's only got so many years left in his career. So, yeah, that is interesting. I figured whenever Dana said that, they had already recorded like the segment where they announce where the fight is. But, yeah, I guess not. But, yeah, Dana's backtracking like he's you know running the PGA Tour over here. Uh, being uh, hypocritical and whatnot, but uh, I'll say this much: I guess so we can parlay this in the initial thoughts on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, I've only seen the first episode; I haven't seen episode two. All I got to say is same old, same old, same old crap. <laughs> I, I watched uh, probably about the last thirty-ish minutes of episode two last night, and don't want to give away what happened just because um, th- this is my. My wish to the people who produce the ultimate fighter. Can we start every fight 30 minutes into the broadcast? Because if you start the fight with oh, you know 10, what's min- gonna happen. Under yeah. 10 minutes to go with the show, I go, well, clearly this thing's in the first round. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that happened in episode one. I don't know what happened in episode two, but. It happened in episode one, two as well. Oh, damn. Damn. Uh, 
in episode one, yeah, the fight started with 10 minutes left. And I was like, well, this is going to be a first round finish. And then Roosevelt Roberts came in and uh, knocked out the dude. I don't know if the guy landed a single punch. I mean, that must suck to get, tell everyone, I'm going to the ultimate fighter. I'm going to the ultimate fighter. Gets in the cage. Boom, knockout. And, oh, and, my God. And now you're there for probably another six weeks just sulking. Yeah, I know, dude. That sucks, man. Um, look, this ultimate fighter season, is, is, is you can already tell it's going to be boring. Like one episode in, I was like, this is boring. This is already rinse and repeat, copy and paste, the same bull crap. And it's like, you have a great opportunity. This thing is airing on freaking ESPN. You have Conor McGregor that you are recording. You're recording Conor McGregor with the camera. And you just, I mean, oh my God. And then like the concept of the show, for those that haven't seen it is, there's four veteran Bantamweights. What's the other weight class? Is it lightweight? Lightweight, yeah. Four veteran lightweights, four, which it just means former UFC fighters. And then four non-UFC fighter lightweights, four non-UFC fighter Bantamweights. The way it works is Connor picks one group. If he picks the four prospect Bantamweights, then Michael automatically gets the four veterans. So I just think that's stupid. I think they should have picked fighters individually. Um, regardless, Connor picked the prospect Bantamweights. And then Michael got the, the 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 veterans, and he got the veteran at the other weight class. So Michael has all eight veterans. Connor has all eight prospects. Michael is going to wipe the floor out of Connor McGregor on the show because he got all former UFC fighters versus guys who haven't made it to the UFC yet. Um, I that's a, that's all a whole bunch of nonsense though. Connor also missed the weigh-in, I believe, and showed up late to the fight. And it's the first episode. He couldn't even go one episode of showing up on time. I'm interested to see how many times Conor McGregor shows up late. Is it going to be more than 500, like 50% of the time? And I feel like currently the answer is 100%. I don't know if he showed up late on, on episode two. Uh, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Wow. So, yeah, look at Conor. Okay, here's my last point about the Ultimate Fighter. So, yes, the Ultimate Fighter sucks. It's the same old crap. This is what they should have done. They should have taken someone who's never seen the ultimate fighter, some TV producer who doesn't even know that much about mixed martial arts. Maybe they're the people who do the desperate housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever the hell you get them. And you say, do an MMA competition show go, they go and they get a pitch. So it's a unique creative vision and they bring it to the table and you let them do it because the formula sucks. The formula is boring. The formula is the same crap. Oh, uh, we're going to do a little video of the fighter that he took homemade of his fight camp. And then we're going to do a little of the other fighter. And he's going to talk about how much he misses his kid and how much like his girlfriend who he hasn't made his wife yet. Uh, yada, yada. And then, oh, they're going to. And now here's some video of them training. And here's some video of them training. Uh, here's some of their interaction with their coach that they got and we're going to make it look like it was some individualized training and not the fact that these fights probably happened within the same week and it was just random training yeah. sessions and then we're going to have the weigh-in and then we're going to have the fight and then we're going to have the post-fight reaction and then we're going to go to commercial break and, and, and it's going to be the same old crap it's the same old crap i could do the ultimate fighter tomorrow if they hired me to be the producer of the ultimate fighter, I could do exactly what they just did. I'd get the damn ring light so you could see the ring light and their eyeballs when they do the interview. I could do the whole works. You missed one thing about the ultimate fighter. What's that? You forgot about we got to have a bunch of booze in this house. See who's going to get uh, extremely drunk and do something stupid. 
Oh, 100%. And Dana's always got to mention it. And it's like, yeah, dude, let's get drunk. Let's do some stupid stuff. That's some Ultimate Fighter 1 stuff. Like, no one's peed on anybody since the first season. It's like, we need people to pee on each other, man. We need some compelling reality television. Yeah, I just, I watched a decent amount of episode one. And then when I, I went last night, I went out to the, the Rays game. And, I, and when I got back, so I turned it on. And I'm just like, yeah, man, this just doesn't. It just isn't for me, man. I, I, I get that there's going to be people out there that do enjoy the Alton Fire, but it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm probably going to watch it all, though, I'm, I, but I'm going to need to do it, like, weekly. No way I'm able to binge this show, but I think at the gym while I'm doing some cardio, uh, I'll try and gulp it down like some medicine. Yeah, no. But, uh, of course, coming up on Saturday, we got UFC 289 up there in Vancouver. Of course, headlined by Amanda Nunez versus Irene Aldana. And it seems to be the narrative heading into this fight car on Saturday. Is this the last dance for Amanda Nunez? Well, where is this coming from? I, I've seen various people kind of, you know, throwing this out there of could this be the final time we see Amanda Nunez? And I guess it probably depends on how it goes. I mean, she is 35 years old. So maybe maybe she looks at it. I mean, I, I think as a combat sports fan, I, I would like to see the trilogy matchup between her and Juliana Payne to see what what's that third fight look like here. But uh, it, it seems to be a narrative heading into this one. But has she put anything out there? I don't believe she so. Said- it's interesting because, like, I mean, for all I know, it could be her last fight. She is 35. She's had a long career. She's been the women's goat for a very, very long time. But I will say it felt like in the last fight against Juliana Pena, Amanda had a renewed sense of fighting spirit and a renewed sense of energy and passion for this game. I didn't get the impression that she was after that fight, one fight away from retirement. I got the impression she was going to go on another run. That impression could be totally wrong. She could she could call it a day if she beats Irina Adonio or if she loses. And honestly, I think she's probably going to lose to Adonia this weekend. I'm going to throw a question out to you. What's that? Any concern Irina Adonia doesn't make weight? <sighs> uh, because I saw that this got noted. So when you look at her past couple of fights, so Macy Chieson ended up being yeah. a uh, a catchweight matchup. She weighed 137.5. It was a catchweight 140. That was on uh, the other side of the equation of that. Uh, Yana Santos, she missed weight by uh, 3.5 pounds, weighing in 139.5. Her fight against Holly Holm weighed 136, so she made weight there. Uh, she made weight against Kayla Vieira. So we're back in 2019 at this point, 135.5. The last time she made 135, is 2019 against Vanessa Mello. That doesn't make me feel too good about her making weight. Um, that's crazy. I hadn't realized she'd missed weight in back-to-back fights. Um, well, maybe the chase on fight. The, the chase on fight was on the other side. It was uh, the chase on uh, side. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so she might have been well on her way to, to making 135. But I, she- I, I saw someone else bring it up, and I was like... It's a very interesting point. I mean, she even missed weight earlier in her career. In 2016, she missed weight for an Invicta fight against Jessamine Duke. Um, so you miss weight twice. That's a lot. Um, that's a that's a good point. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say she makes weight. 
I don't know, man. I if she does make weight, I think she could beat Amanda because she's a damn good striker, like really good, talented on the feet. Technically, could maybe give Amanda some problems. But the issue is, can she stop the takedown? If you look at what she's happened, Macy Chason took her down three times. Holly Holm took her down five times. Raquel Pennington took her down one time. I mean, if you're talking about a, a smart game plan here for Amanda Nunez, it is to go the takedown route and not get into a boxing matchup. If it's a boxing matchup, yeah, Reno Dunning's got a great chance to pull off the upset here, but I got to think that Amanda Nunez's mindset is take her to the ground, rinse and repeat until either, you know, the 25 minutes expire or she is a stoppage at some point. Yeah. Can't she stop the takedown? No. <laughs> she cannot stop the takedown. <laughs> That's what makes me pretty worried about this one. Uh, Amanda could absolutely put her on her back and maybe finish her with top position. Honestly, Amanda is that good from top position. I, I don't think Irene can stop the takedown for sure. But I have a weird feeling that Amanda's going to stand in trade uh, with Adania. I mean, it feels really good to go out there, knock people out, and put them away. But Amanda is obviously a really smart fighter. There's a reason why she's the GOAT amongst women fighters. And uh, a legend in the history of Big Smart Schwartz. So, yeah, there's that. But I don't know. I have a feeling Irene's going to out- outpoint her on the feet. But if the fight doesn't play out on the feet, she's not going to have an opportunity to do such a thing. And even on the feet, where she, to me, does have the technical advantage, Amanda does have the power advantage. And she also is a damn good striker in her own right. Mm-hmm. I- I'm just feeling a little frisky. I think maybe watching Juliana Pena outstrike Amanda Nunez. Uh, a few years ago has really made me think it's going to happen again at some point. The focus is going to get lost. You know, Amanda was supposed to fight someone else, and uh, Juliana pulled out of the fight, so Aldana stepped up. Maybe the motivation isn't there. We saw how big the motivation is for people who step in and, and challenge for a championship. Also, things are looking real good for Mexican fighters right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grasso with the championship, Moreno with the championship, Yair with the interim championship. That one dude who uh, was a major underdog fighting pretty good that one time. Um, so yeah, let's let's go with Adania to to add gold to the Mexican champions, and then uh, for them to never run a show in Mexico to celebrate that. <laughs> exactly, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, but in terms of this pay per view, the fight that's drawn, I think, pretty much, I think, a majority of people to this pay per view is the co main event. And in all reality, it's a lightweight title eliminator between the former champion Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. Benil Dariush has had to take this long ass road to potentially get a title matchup here. And, uh, you know, DeBronx, uh, by the way, the stat is uh, he has fought, this will be his fifth fight in Canada. He's looking for his first win in Canada. Wow. He's like the Derek Lewis, but it's a, instead of Houston, it's Canada. That is crazy. Um, it's worth mentioning. Hey, we're going back to Canada. I'm excited for that, uh, that crowd. Uh, apparently, the UFC hates Canada because this card effing sucks. Uh, I mean, this is one of the worst pay-per-views they put on in years. It really is. This is a two-fight show. And... I, I mean, look, Dan Ige, Nate Landweir, that's a badass fight. Don't get me wrong. Is that a pay-per-view draw? Hell no. And that's number three. What else is there that, that gets you excited to spend money to watch a fight card? Oh, this, 
I was straight up. I, I was telling my buddy Trace this last night. I go, this is a pay-per-view you go to a bar for. And hopefully the bar shows it. Hopefully the uh, bar there, shows there, it. Yes, I've already done research on this. I know the bars that are showing it, so I know where I'll be on Saturday night. Uh, but, like, I like, I, on my notes, I wrote, Ige, Nate equals violence. It should. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I think that should be a fun matchup. I mean, clearly, the other two fights on the pay-per-view, I think, were two fighters were put on the pay-per-view because of being Canadian fighters, that being Mike Malaz taking on Adam Fugat, and then Marc-Andre Barrio, who's taking on Eric Anders. But, like, if you said to me, like, what is, you know, after Ige Langwehr, what gets you excited about this card? I'm going to the prelims, and, and I think that prelim main event is, a, is an excellent matchup between Emovolve and Curtis. Um, you know, Jasmine and, and Maverick, I think, is another good fight on the prelims. Um, but, yeah, other than that, there's, there, there's not a lot that gets you excited, but, you know, but it's also one of these things that I just sit back and say, you know what? On paper, you may not be excited, but watch watch these fights just go out and deliver. I mean, the UFC has incredible genius when it comes to this stuff of things may not necessarily look good on paper or for a pay-per-view, but, man, these fights ultimately deliver. They do. I mean, they do because that's what happens when you put two professionals in a the cage. They're going to punch each other and put on a good fight. But, again, this pay-per-view is really bad. I mean, I can't stress enough. This prelims, I'm not excited for. Like, like Imavov Curtis, good fight. Miranda Maverick is a pretty good women's flyweight fighter that I'm excited to see compete against Jasmine. Jazzy Devicious. The rest of the prelims leaves a little more to be desired, right? Deanna Belbita, Maria Oliveira is fine. David Dvorak versus Matt Schnell would have been exciting, but Schnell pulled out. So now we have this Australian flyweight, Steven Erzik, stepping up on short period of time. Cal Nelson, Blake Builder doesn't do much for me, and neither does Eamon Zahabi and, and Ari Killing. But I'll be watching all these fights. Um, we'll, we'll see. I have two points that I have um, because I do think we need to head back to Oliver Darius because I, I was rude and I, I started talking about other crap, and we got to give that fight its due justice. Uh, but my first point is that I want to just ask you real quick and, and see if off the top of your head if you can name a better fighter. You know, we, we're used to George St. Pierre. We're used to Mark Homnick and Dan Hardy and Rory McDonald, Canadian mixed martial arts stars coming to Canada, delivering the goods. Who is the best Canadian mixed martial artist right now? Is it my boy, OAM? Is Oliver Aubin-Mercier the best Canadian fighter on the planet right now? Is there someone I'm missing? I'm gonna look up the UFC rankings. I, I feel yeah. like there is. I feel like there is someone you're missing. I I, I know. I'm asking you because I mean I I wish the UFC rankings had like their no, no one next to no one jumps off. The, I'm I'm just I'm looking at the rankings. See if someone sticks up to me. Like no, top of my head, no one sticks up to me. I feel like I'm missing someone. Uh, I'm just gonna Google best Canadian MMA fighters and see uh see if I could find some. So it's like, what was that generation of like Carl of, of Rory and, and GSP? Was it like an anomaly? You know, Patrick Cote, uh, was that an anomaly or, or, or what's going on with the Canadian MA fires, man? Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm going through the rankings and no one really sticks out to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. It's a, it's an interesting I, thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, think of obviously Roy McDonald was a name in the past you would think of, but yeah, OAM would probably be that guy. That's crazy to think that OAM might be the best Canadian fighter right now. 
but you know, uh, now I'm now I'm on like a Wikipedia that has like uh, all the Canadian UFC fighters that have ever fought in the UFC, and there isn't a lot, dude. There isn't a lot. Like you look at a specific weight class. Like I'm looking at Walter White, and I'm just scrolling down to see if I can find any active Canadian fighters, um, and I'm still trug- struggling to find someone. Uh, maybe Johan Lyonese is still Mike Malott. Those are probably the two I can find. So there aren't a lot of guys who are Canadian that are still in the UFC in the first place, right? So I'm over on Tapology, and so I just went to best uh, the men's men's pound for pound rankings. And I'm scrolling down to see where I can find a Canadian flag at. There's no one in the top fifty. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the answer is probably um, OIM. But when I'm looking at like the like runners up, literally like Charles Dordain. Is a name that comes to mind. Uh, yeah. He's pretty talented, and he's from Canada. Um, and then you got to start looking at also like some of the women fighters. Like obviously, uh, Jillian Robertson isn't ha- isn't half bad. She's a really good grappler. But yeah, man, there really aren't that many good Canadian talents. It's as simple as that. And uh, OAM is the best. Okay, co-main event. Um, Dariush Oliveira, dude. Holy crap, Dariush has had a had a freaking grind to get here bro i mean holy holy moly he is on the leon edwards trajectory for a championship opportunity he's got to go to hell and back and also do it two more times to fight for that title and he's got to get through charles Oliveira. jason does he get through charles Oliveira? i would love to see this fight hit the mat just see what that looks like but let me let me ask you this I, my pick is dubronx i think dubronx gets it done here uh-huh. outside of matthias gamrot Oh, what yeah. is the best win for Benil Dariush? So if you look at his recent winning streak, so this is going to the end of 2018, all the way to uh, October of last year. Tiago Moses, Drew Dober, Frank Camacho, Dracar Close, Scott Holtzman, Carlos Diego Fajaya, Tony Ferguson, Matthias Gamron. Who's the next best win after Gamron? Uh, from a name standpoint... Tony Ferguson from a talent standpoint, Carlos Ferreira, and from a holy crap, that was a badass finish, Scott Holtzman. Spain yeah, is knocked out. Those, that's how I would rank it. But yes, there's a there's a big drop off. I mean, it's it's it, there's a reason why Benil hasn't fought for the championship. Well, it's two reasons. One, he's not the most marketable fighter in the world, unfortunately. But more importantly, he doesn't have too many high quality wins over top five lightweights. He's had injury situations that have um, pulled him out of, of certain fights that have not helped his case. But, I mean, look, the winner of this matchup is going is going to get it. I mean, the ultimate question is, is just, you know, can he take advantage of DeBronx is going to take chances. That's just who Charles is. I mean, but I still think DeBronx gets it done. Yeah, I do too. When you look at the run, I mean, look at the run Benil went on. Look at the run Charles went on. Charles beat Gaethje, Poirier, Chandler, Ferguson, Lee. Jesus Christ. That's crazy. That's a murderer's row. Um, And before that, Charles pieced together five to six wins. I mean, he also had to go on a similar run to Dariush. You know, to get to the top of the lightweight division, it's a long-ass climb. And Benil's looking to climb. What worries me about Charles is Benil has the power to put him out in an instant. Um, and Charles does get rocked. Like almost in every fight, he mm-hmm. gets freaking rocked. Benil is the one guy you probably don't want to get rocked against if you're Charles because he's not going to get himself tapped out by you. 
You know, if he rocks you, gets on top, Charles isn't going to be able to throw up an arm bar and tap you out from behind. Benil knows what to do. He's an, he's an expert in, in jiu-jitsu. So that's what makes Benil a live dog. That being said, I can't pick against Charles Oliveira. He's a known commodity. I do always get worried when a guy wins a championship and then loses it. Because to me, you got to like mm-hmm. put everything into that championship reign, that rise to the top. And once you lose, bro, it's hard to rebound. It is hard to reclaim where you once were. Think of Tony Ferguson, how high he was. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he slipped, it's been a nonstop downward trend. I'll give you you another great example of that. We got to go back years. Chuck Liddell. Like a like a light switch, like a light just off, and you're he, just gone. He lost the he lost the belt to Rampage, and he was never the same guy again. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right, bro. You're totally right. Uh, and it, it, the list goes on and on and on. You lose that championship, and it's only a matter of time till. Yeah, L- L- Liddell is always the guy that just comes to my mind, just because. Like, I mean. You just never know when the downside of a career in combat sports is going to happen. And, you know, may, maybe it is. I mean, the one thing that does, does concern you, you, you bring through a point, is the fact of in his last two, three fights, Alvera has been knocked down, knocked down once by Dustin Poirier, knocked down once by Justin Gaethje, knocked down once by Islam Mahachev. And let's just be honest, about it, we don't think of Islam Mahachev as a, a knockout artist. Yeah, yeah. And Benil isn't someone you think of as like this high level, like badass kickboxer, but he's a hard striker, bro. And he does have good stand up. Um, but yeah, he's got that dad strength, is how I would describe it. Uh, he's got a surprising look, right? You don't look at Benil Darius and think that's one of the toughest mother efforts in the world, but he is. He is. And it's a great fight. And it's the fight that makes me okay about spending money on this pay per view. I mean, you know. Uh, it's always a pleasure to watch Amanda Nunez fight. She's a literal legend, and anytime I get to see her make that walk out and watch her compete, I consider it a pleasure. Cool I mean, look, event, great fight. Yeah, I know it's going to be more expensive for me to go out. You know, by the time I get in the Uber, get to the bar, you know, have a, a night of fun, get back into the Uber. Yeah, I would probably save a lot more money just ordering the fights at home. Yeah, but hanging out with the guys at a bar, it's a good time. It, it's and, and to me, it's also, I like to see how other people react to the fights. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And this will be an interesting one to see who reacts to anyone because this isn't a fight card littered with stars. No. So this is an opportunity. If you're Adam Fugit or Mike Mallott or, or Mark andre Barrio or Eric Anders or Dan Ige or Nate Landweir, this is an opportunity to go and become a damn star. Get a name for yourself. Get after it, fellas. No doubt about it. Now, one of the things I want to mention as we start to wrap up this edition of the podcast is KSW had their stadium show last week, and I was here in the office last Saturday, and I had TweetDeck open, and I was actually amazed how many people in the MMA community were actually live tweeting this event, some crazy uh, highlights that that I saw from this event on social media, and it's one of these things of maybe we just don't give KSW the credit they deserve for the amount of butts they can put in seats for their shows. Yeah, so, you know, I decided to watch this show and um, because it was such a highly attended event and we haven't really talked about KSW on the show before. So I was like, you know what? 
I need to watch this show. There's like 50,000 people. First off, you talk about the crazy highlights. This heavyweight is on his back, and this dude is in full mount. Yes. And he just knocks him out. Just rolls him over one punch, boom. Yeah, just one punch, boom. Um, So, I mean, that lets you know the level of competition we're seeing in some of these fights that that happened. But I know that this dude was like a former boxer. And yeah. you had a former boxer uh, take on Marius Podzinowski um, in, in the uh, in the co-main event because there was an original co-main event that got canceled like 30 minutes before that fight went down. But that fight was good too. Uh, Marius Podzinowski versus um, Arthur Spilka. And, and basically what happened is Puds put him down on his back round one. Round two, he couldn't. Round two, he got knocked out. Anyways, back to the whole KSW thing. First off, the biggest crowd we'll see all year in a mixed martial arts event. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful thing. I mean, when I see the event, it reminds me of WrestleMania. It was a very WrestleMania big event feel. They did a great production. The ring announcer was an epic voice. Great ring introductions. Great presentation. Crowd was really great. Uh, I loved the product so much. I'm going to make it an effort to re- to watch more KSW. Um it's a it's a reminder of the fact that it's important that the UFC isn't the only game in town because the UFC has made an active decision to not do things like this. They made an active decision to not go and and make shows feel unique, have unique entrances, unique layouts. It's the same old deal. That's their way of doing things. It's worked out for them. But it's important that we have other options so we can see different expressions of this sport different ways of what this sport can be. And KSW brilliantly showed that with this fight card. I had a great time watching it. The other two things I want to bring up is um, Michael Martella, a veteran Polish fighter, a great finish over Radislav Pakzuski. Pakzuski was basically beating this dude up like on the feet, dropped him a couple times, and all of a sudden Michael, the veteran, comes out and knocks him out. Great comfort behind win. And the second point, the main event delivered. So Mamid Khalidov, Khalidov is legitimately a legend in mixed martial arts. And he's a very mm-hmm. underappreciated guy. But he's made his name in Poland. He's consistently been a top 10 middleweight for like 10 plus years. Um, if I was going to like say what his skill level reminds me of, I feel like he probably would have had a similar career to someone like Gegard Mousasi. If he made it, his jump to the UFC. I just think he's a really good fighter. Anyways, what a story this guy told in this fight. 40-some years old. In the pre-fight video, he's like talking to the crowd. He's like, I need you to give me your energy. Let's go. He Epic walkout. Has complete control of the crowd. Trilogy fight against Scott Askham. The fight itself was pretty good. Round one was good. Round two, Scott Askham put him in a, a heel hook. Mm-hmm. And... And and and, and Mamed Kalidov, like a professional wrestler, just literally looks at this dude and is like, looks at the ref, and it's just crazy that his his heel, you know, is in pain, and he's uh-huh. just completely no selling it. Anyways, round three hits him with a thrust kick. Scott asks him, basically sprawls, and as soon as Scott asks him, uh, uh, foot like knees leave the canvas, boom, gets caught with a kick or like a knee, and it's over. So yeah, Mamed Kalidov is, is a certified legend. And I guess my big question for KSW is Putin announcing in Hollydaff are the two big veterans, but they're also like in their 40s. I, I wonder who their next big Polish star is going to be to help them continue to fill out 50,000-seat arenas. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I, when I saw a shot of, of the stadium before it was before the event started, and one of my initial thoughts I kind of had was like, okay, the UFC I think could do that if they wanted to. They could they could fill a fifty thousand seat stadium with the right with the right fight card, but like, I don't know if any other promotion here in the United States could do that. Yeah, could the UFC fill a stadium with um, the same fight quality? No. <laughs> Seriously, no, no, look, mean, at, look, you, at, look you, at the you'd have to have the fight quality. You'd have to have Connor on the card, John Jones on the. I mean, you'd have to stack the deck. Bro, I mean, that was like like that would be if you were going to do a stadium show for the UFC, UFC three hundred, stack the deck, put it in, go to Cowboy Stadium. Exactly, but in terms of fight quality. It's like if UFC headlined with um, Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. Uh, <laughs> in, in fact, in fact, I believe that both Vittori and Cannonier would currently be Holly Duff and Scott Askin right now. And then the co-main yeah. event was like um, James Tony versus um, I don't know Bob Sapp. I can't even come up with it. So like the difference is the UFC can absolutely do. A huge stadium show, bro. Like a huge stadium show. You think go to Australia or and use the big Australian stars, or they could go to Mexico and use the big Mexican stars. They could they could sell out. But what's interesting about KSW is they had fifty thousand people for a fight card with some good fighters, but not like elite game changers. And what happened was they just or I don't know what happened because I'm not in Poland. I really don't know what happened. But what I assume happened is they have made it just a, a thing to do. They have KSW has connected with the country of Poland. These fighters have connected with the country of Poland. They have told a story and they're selling a story. And that to me is probably what happened. I, I, let me end on this. Let's say on Saturday night, I'm sitting at the bar and there's 10 other people around me, people I don't know. But they're clearly into the fights. They're clearly into the fight game. How many of them would know Bellator has an event next week and it's featuring Patricio Pitbull trying to get his third division title? Zero. Dude, Zero so I, someone DM'd me about this the other day. They're like, dude, Bellator's got this great show. like, And there is zero discussion about it. I go, I know. I know. They need to get Sergio Pettis on the MMA Hour. On Monday, um, they need to promote this fight. Sergio Pettis and Patricio is like one of the most interesting fights the promotion has ever put on. And to me, that's not a hyperbole. I think that's one interesting ass fight, and I'm excited to see it. I, I totally I, I, agree with you. I'm still, I'm still baffled of why Nemkov and Yoel Romero's main event of this card. I'm still baffled by this. How is yeah. Pettis Pitbull not the main event of this card? I know, I know, and I think you know the answer. It's I literally, I, and look, Scott Coker doesn't do many interviews. Like, any, and th this is my challenge to anyone to interview Scott Coker next week. Your first question should be that. Why is Patricio Pitbull not the main event of this fight card? I think it's tradition. It's the heavier guy goes on last. I get that, but like, come on, you're talking about a guy who has a, a chance to win his third division title. I know you're right. You're right. You're right. I I completely agree with you. Um, it's crazy. It is. Uh, 
But look, it, it, it's the biggest fight of the month. I mean, it went in one, number one overall in our June fight draft. And had I had the first overall pick, I probably would have picked it as well. You know? Um, you know what's yeah. crazy? I, I, I had to double check this to make sure this is true. So you realize, so Bellator's got this event here on June the 16th. Their next event is not till the co-promotion of the Rising at the end of July. And then their next event in America is August 11th. Yeah. That's, 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 man, that's crazy. But it, I'm looking at, I, I've seen other people kind of note this the fact of Belt was just not doing a ton of events anymore. It's really like makes you Bell- wonder why. It really makes you wonder why that is. Yeah. Like you look at it. So you got Belt or 297, June 16th, the co promotion of the rise in July 30th. Then you got the card there in South Dakota on August 11th, which is uh, Storley and Ward. Then um, the next event after that is September 23rd. Yeah, in Ireland. So if you want to watch, I mean, how many how many shows are they doing in America in the year? Are they going to do like eight American shows? Dude, it seems like they're they're doing one show a month at this point. And, and that's all fine dandy. But how are these cars not stacked to the gills if you're only doing one event a month yeah i mean look at this uh look at this belt 298 card storley ward moldoski maori rasta jeffrey outlaw mamadov i mean we outline the quality of this roster in the draft and if you are doing one show a month those every card should be bananas i mean look that the card in south dakota is not a bad fight card I, I like the fight card. It's got a ton of notable fights. Um, all these guys are all ranked fighters. Uh, Outlaw's coming back from uh, serving that suspension. Storling Ward's going to be very interesting. My guy, uh, uh, Pete Rogers, actually trains a little bit with Brandon Ward. That's uh, that's an interesting stylistic matchup for Logan Storley because Brynn has that wrestling ability where he can keep the, the fight on the feet. I don't, so, know if he, I don't know if he's able to keep the fight on the feet against Logan, bro. He's got, dude, like, Bryn's got good, I mean, as much as, look, Bryn loves, Logan's a really good wrestler, though. He is. As much as Brendan loves, as I like to say, to throw them bungalows, if he needs to put on the wrestling shoes, he can put on the wrestling shoes. We'll see. We'll see. I know, I know he's got that background. It was really good, but Logan's one of the best wrestlers in the sport, man. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited for that fight. Okay. Like, if, I, was just, I just thought of this, just like, so going back to this hypothetical, there's 10 people I'm sitting around at the bar watching the UFC pay-per-view. What would be the questions I could ask to find out how true of a mixed martial arts fan are they that's not UFC related? Well, I was going to say first, just ask them to tell me what the weight classes are. But not UFC related. Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, if someone can tell you who Logan Storley is, that lets me know they know their, they know their stuff. If someone what if I said, can you name me three pfl fighters can you tell me what the pfl is can you can you tell me can you tell me what bellator is? i mean like if someone could do that then they, they know they're crap because like we overestimate how much casual ma fans know about the sport because it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of information to process and think about and if you're a sports fan that's juggling you know, I'm watching the NBA Finals and I'm watching the Stanley Cup and the Formula One and, and yada, yada. You don't have a lot of time to get in the nitty gritty. You have time to jump in for the pay-per-views, watch some of the main cards. You may not jump in this Saturday. 
and that's how you watch the sport. But those people don't know what Bellator is exactly. They may have heard the PFL name, but they don't know, right? Yeah, I, I think I think those are the types of questions. Not even can you name three fighters? Can you tell me what the promotion is? And that's the difference of watching a UFC fight card and monitoring Twitter at home versus being out and about and seeing how people react to fights. Like it's, it's always interesting to me because I can always tell when an MMA reporter clearly has not been in that type of environment because I can tell them like, man, you don't, you don't know how people react to fights. Like you got, you got to get yourself out of that MMA Twitter bubble to really see how people react to fights because there's been times I've been in a bar scenario and like you think about like, Oh, people got to be excited about this fighter. And they're not. Yeah. And it's important to get that barometer largely due to the fact that there's a lot more people that are part of that second group that are the casual fan than the hardcore. I mean, just a lot more. That's the difference between having a successful business and not having a successful business is reaching out to those people that just are going out to watch a fight card or, or pitching in to watch this one pay-per-view. That's how the UFC makes a business out of this deal, not by appealing to the hardcores. Well, I mean, look, the UFC promotes the three letters. They don't th- promote fighters. Yep. Same strategy as the WWE. So I guess it's fitting. They're owned by the same company. But uh, I mean, that's I mean, the same strategy. Yeah. I mean, look at just some of these fight night cards. I mean, I feel like we're getting just more and more of these Apex cards. And I'm like, we went on that great run of no Apex shows. And it just seems like now every other every show outside of pay-per-views is not the Apex. <sighs> yeah. So it, it's, it's an incredible dichot- dichotomy. The difference in environment from Kai Car friends in Albazi this weekend fighting in a in a dungeon <laughs> versus the KSW crowd. Yeah, holy crap! What a difference! I know, I know. It's it, it as funny as when I was watching the main event. I'm thinking like Bruce Buffer. You know, he clearly he he vibes off that fan energy, and I'm like, there's like 50 people in this venue. <laughs> Bro, bro, Jim Miller's out here putting on the best knockout of his damn career in front of 50 people. Dude, that should have happened in front of a crowd. You know what the weirdest part about that was? Is his post-fight interview, it's like almost like, is Mike, like, like is Michael Bisping think he's going to retire? Like, he's made this very clear. He's trying to fight yeah. UFC 300. His very first question, and then the thing is, he should know because freaking the other commentator, the, the play-by-play man, or maybe it was the other color guy, it was probably the play-by-play dude, was bringing that up in commentary. And then Michael was starting to highlight the other guy. He was like, well, you know, Jesse Butler, he came in. At, and then B- Butler gets knocked out before Bisping could even give him his roses. <laughs> um, yeah, it was literally mentioned on commentary that UFC 300 is when he probably will retire. He at least wants to get there. And yeah, that was that was a weird deal, but I don't know, man. Maybe Jim Miller is gonna mess around and, and fight for a lightweight championship. Who knows? I, By the way, uh, I'm fascinated sad, who who his opponent will be at UFC 300. It's got to be another veteran uh, fighter. It's got. Oh be. yeah, yeah. Don't do not give him some young stud. Give him an OG, a guy that's been around for a while. Yeah, uh, like a name value. I don't know. Can they, uh, uh, you, you know, the name that came to my mind and, and he'd probably have to be at 170 pounds. What? How about RDA? That's not bad. That's not bad. I, I think that's a pretty good fight. I think that's the exact type of fight they would want to pay. 
Uh, I, I, I'm down for that one. Sign me up for RDA. I'm trying to look at the lightweight roster because, like, I don't think it's going to be a top 15 guy. No, no, no. But, uh, yeah, and it's like, also, like, can we find a fight that he hasn't done before? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Guy's right? got, what, like, 43 you fights in the UFC? Take that one in, man. 43. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how many dudes he's fought. Uh, and I don't think he's fought RDA, so I think that's a pretty <laughs> – I, I I saw this clip. I don't know what the interview came from, but Jim Miller goes, he didn't say who it was in the MMA media, but he said, hey, stop hitting up my wife to see what's going on in my camp. I'm like, who the hell is doing that? That's, that's some weird crap. That's really weird. Uh, I, got, I, got, I got two fights for you for Jim Miller. Okay. Okay. How about this one? This is not a veteran fight, but this is a big fight. Jim Miller versus Patty Pimblett. I might, I might pick Jim Miller. I know, I know. Imagine that. Use the three hundred. Also, if Conor comes out here and loses, Conor McGregor and Jim Miller. <laughs> I don't know how well I want to go for Jim Miller. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how well that one would go for Jim. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a bad pick. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. You, you probably are going to have to go up to that welterweight division and find a name yeah. there. Maybe uh, is Robbie Lawler still around? Uh, Robbie Lawler's got a retirement fight coming up. Uh, I want to oh, say damn. he's on the. I want to say it's the next pay per view. I think he's on the TV prelims. I want to say. Come on, Robbie, hang on a little longer and retire with Jim Miller at USC. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's. I, I'm. I believe I'm correct in saying this, that Robbie has come out and said that's going to be his last fight. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Nick Diaz can come out and fight Jim Miller. I mean, Tyron Woodley's talking about he wants to fight again. That one I'm not excited for. I'm not excited for Tyron Woodley. <laughs> no. No? No? Count me out on that one. Yeah. PFL's yeah. Uh, tomorrow night as well. You can watch PFL if you want. Ooh. I'll watch it. Probably uh, is, is there any? I mean, I mean the season. I mean the, the PFL season's in shambles because we've got. I think it's. I believe it's year nine or ten fires have been removed from the season for failed drug tests. Yeah, we got Wilkinson's out, right? That was yeah, the yeah. Most he's he's yeah, he's the latest one. Yeah, that sucks. I really liked watching him last season, but here we are. So PFL four. Ooh. So yeah, I mean this this fight card. It doesn't have a very interesting fight on it, but it has interesting fighters. Like, like yeah. clearly, like Brandon Lonane, Jesus Pinedo, that's Lonane's fight to win. But mm-hmm. I love watching Brandon Lonane. Uh, the rest of the fight card, not super exciting. Bubba Jenkins is usually pretty boring, but he's also really good. Josh Silvera at light heavyweights, interesting. Um, Marlon Moraes on the prelims. How the mighty have fallen. I will be watching this tomorrow because I'm a degenerate, and if something crazy happens, we'll talk about it. No doubt about it. Uh, I will have a podcast on Sunday, so people can check that out. Uh, got, got a couple of interviews lined up for that one. Um, of course, if you missed uh, Sunday's episode, I was joined by Jamie Siraj, Alan Martinez. Uh, we're on the show. Alan Martinez, undefeated flyweight prospect. Uh, he is a cousin of Johnny Munoz. Had a great conversation with him. Um, also, uh, Jamie Siraj, it's his, he's returning on Friday night for the first time in three years had a, a near death experience. And the, one of the biggest takeaways I had from that conversation, Daniel was he was talking about the point of 
he was about to get put on a ventilator and you can kind of know where his mindset was at that point. And he said, he goes, the only thing I could think of was I never got a chance to fight in the UFC. Wow. That is crazy. That's crazy that that's where his mind went, but that's a beautiful story. Uh, I can't, I gotta listen to it, man. That is a beautiful story. I got it. I gotta listen to that. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he's he's talked about it in a couple of interviews, and uh, it was just, it was really interesting. And, and I thought, you know, because of everything that he has been through, and obviously at a point not knowing if he would ever be able to compete again. And you know, I mentioned, I said, I was like, I was like, hey, once you started getting back in the training room, like, were your training partners like nervous? And he goes, eh, for the most part, no. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great story, man. That's the story yeah, of he resilience. Was, so prior to right before all this happened, he was going to go on the contender series. Like he had had a fight, all that, and then has all these health scares, and and it's just taking him all this time to get back in there. But uh, yeah, he's a part of that uh, BFL show. It's on Fight Pass. I want to say it's got four title fights on it. Uh, BFL uh, a, a promotion up there on Canada. So that's uh, that's on Friday night. People want to check that out over there. At UFC Fight Pass, and uh, of course, uh, looking forward to watching the fights here on Saturday. Of course, uh, always uh, be sure to check out the show every Wednesday and Sunday right here on YouTube, also on the podcast channels. And uh, I will talk to you on Sunday on the next edition of MMA Report Podcast.